even in a hyper-connected world, we as human beings are just feeling so desperately disconnected. I think, you know, that, that collective craving for connection is where we have an opportunity to, you know, start to take some action. Uh, we know that feelings of belonging and connection are, are regenerative sources of energy as, as human beings. If you can get your employees mobilizing on, you know, a metric or metrics that matter and sure. get everyone kind of focused on one thing they can do really, really well instead of like, you know, tackling the whole thing, right, um, is really important. So step by step, it's a journey. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons. We are the largest law firm in the world with offices in more than 200 locations across 80 countries available to support you everywhere you do business. We're a law firm that embraces change and can help you grow, protect, operate, and finance your organization, which is why Dentons is organized to offer more than just legal insight. We're here to help you find business solutions in a seamless fashion across the globe. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Erin Leonti, who's the Vice President of Social Purpose at Clio, a cloud-based technology company providing lawyers and legal firms with comprehensive case management software that's secure, reliable, and scalable. He's also the founder of Leonti Consulting. Welcome, Erin. Hi, Heather. It's so great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course, we're excited you're here. To start us off, can you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. It's always a daunting question, right? It's like, where do it you is. start? Um, I think for this conversation, I'll I'll take some inspiration from Indigenous culture. I, you know, you and I are both here in Treaty Six, and I really feel inspired by their protocol of really helping listeners gain a sense of an individual's sort of men mental model of where they're coming to the conversation with by by virtue of where they came from. Uh, so I'll I'll start at the beginning, but I promise I won't <laughs> go on forever about it. No problem. Um, I want to hear it. Great. It was a recent reflection, actually, because I was. Um, invited to go through some old photos recently and it really kind of took me back and I'm always one that has been overly focused on my career it's like life after college after oh, university yeah. and yeah. I've been going through this journey of really reconnecting with my roots and my ancestors so I am the daughter of Deborah Johnston and Leslie Johnston I was born here in Edmonton I grew up in Mill Woods for those of you in Edmonton are familiar and, uh, you know, just typical 80s child growing up on the, on you know, roam in the neighborhood wild, right? Yeah, like we did. time then, right? And at the age of nine, I moved up north to Fort McMurray. So uh -huh. I went to uh, school in Fort McMurray, went to Westwood High School, met some lovely, amazing friends there. Uh, grew up in a in a church environment, actually. My parents were quite religious at the time, and I was actually homeschooled for a while before I entered into high school, so that informs my, my experience. And then I went to Keanu College for a year. I did a ton of um, business prereq courses there, as well as doing a lot of theater, drama, singing, which not a lot of people know about. And then I entered, I moved down back to Edmonton, where it all started, uh, to go to university. So took business there, finance and accounting, and then uh, started uh, my career down in Calgary. So kind of all, all around Alberta, 
born and bred, you know, I spent probably about a third of my time in Edmonton for McMurray and, and Calgary, respectively. Uh, just really enjoyed working. So I started off with a finance career and uh, through General Electric and then very quickly started to have a passion around uh, inclusion. You know, there weren't a lot of women in leadership at the time. I was often the only female in any room. Uh, mm -hmm. including the the Ritchie Brothers auction yard. <laughs> kick oh, <and> yeah. <laughs> and so I, I often felt kind of lonely in that in that experience and uh, but managed to make my way up the I, I like to call it the corporate lattice. I've taken on all kinds of different roles, different industries, different companies and learned along the way. And uh, about a year ago, joined Clio. So that's what brings me here today. But lots more to unpack there. So there is a lot to unpack there, and we're going to do that. But of course, the burning question, since you've been all over the province, is you spend about a third of your time in Edmonton and then Fort Mac in Calgary, but you're a firm Oilers fan, right? Yes, yes. I have to say Very that good. definitively. In fact, I was at... Uh... I was in sales at the time in Calgary with a Flames jersey on and oh, Edmonton came to play and I just couldn't handle it. I, I had to start cheering for the Oilers and people were looking at me in this Flames jersey like I was out to lunch. So, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes you self-abandon yourself for the sake of fitting in and, and you come back to your, your roots. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of, uh, we're not going to go down this rabbit hole for very long, but there's a lot of rivalry, as you know, between Edmonton and Calgary, but it's always good when we can win with the better uh, hockey team because it really <laughs> irritates them. So, you know, we, we do what we can to keep oh, that battle with Alberta alive. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, thank you for that, entertaining me on that little um, diversion. But um, I want to get back to you. You have two prominent roles. One, you are the VP of Social Purpose at Clio, and I want to hear a little bit more about that. And then also, you are the founder of Leonti Consulting. Can you tell us why you have these two roles? Tell us a little bit about each, and then tell us why you wear those two hats. Yeah, uh, so it may help to rewind the clock a little bit. Um, it was during, uh, you know, I was on my first mat leave, actually, uh, when I just started getting really stir crazy. And it's like, yeah. you know, you can be on a parental leave and you can take the the work out of the girl, but you can't take the girl out of the work or <laughs> vice versa, I guess. Right? right. And I was just like really missing being involved in the business conversation. And a friend had reached out and said, hey, I need some help with some uh, consulting. Would you be interested? And I'm like, well, I've, you know, I've got some free time on my hands and really need to keep that brain working. Uh, and so I said yes. And I initiated Leonti Consulting at that time and, and really enjoyed the process of just working on my business, so to speak, in air quotes there, while also providing value to Alberta-based organizations. Uh, fast forward, I went back to work, kind of kept Leonti Consulting on the, the side burner. Once in a while, organizations would reach out wanting support, whether that be advisory or, or speaking. And never really, you know, invested my energy in growing the business, but was always very receptive and responsive to the demand for, for my support. And uh, so I've gone through different waves of, you know, tending to the business. And, yep. uh, and I'm at that stage now where uh, I was, you know, very recently reevaluating my investment portfolio and I had a little bit of extra cash to invest. And I was reviewing all these different businesses and I just had this light bulb moment of like, you know, if I'm going to put X amount into somebody else's business, why wouldn't I just invest that in myself? Like, you know, we often defer 
uh, to other people as experts. And, and I thought, you know, this might be at a moment of inspiration for me to start betting on myself. Uh, so, you know, that's where I started, you know, taking a little bit more seriously. And I'm fortunate to have the privilege of being able to have that capacity of a very supportive partner. Uh, my kids are at the age where they're in a lot of activities. So my mm -hmm. evenings have started to become my own again, after quite some time of not having a lot of discretionary capacity. And, you know, I would say my role at Clio is it's it's the first time that I've just felt really lit up, like lots of energy within this role, working with these amazing coworkers on a mission driven business, uh, working on, you know, I would ultimately describe it as my dream role where the intersection of my skill set and my values have aligned. And that's afforded me where, you know, the opportunity where work doesn't feel like work. There's just a lot yep. of energy that I'm able to give at this stage in, in my, my career, in my, in my life. That's, um, we don't hear that all that often that, uh, you know, the intersection of your, your passion and your values and, and, you know, making everybody dreams for work to feel like it's not work. And some days that's the case, but some days, uh, some days it isn't. So it's uh, very refreshing to hear somebody who has found that in continues to be energized by a mission-driven um, business. So, so hats off to Clio for creating that, uh, that culture. Tell us a little bit how the type of consulting you do differs from maybe what you do kind of, you know, on the Clio clock. What, what, tell us a little bit about the consulting and what that looks like. Yeah, for sure. So on the consulting side, I, you know, I really um, pride myself in being a trusted strategic partner so, you know, in contrast to an order taker, and oftentimes, you know, organizations are, well, in particular, leaders are really fearful of the conversation around diversity and inclusion and equity. They don't know where to start. They're out of their element. And, you know, often executives feel that pressure of kind of having the answers and having the capability. But these are really complex and, and nuanced waters to dive into. And so I pride yeah. myself on being that trusted partner that will walk alongside a leader, meet them where they're at, help them dip their toe, build the muscle. I had a CEO once tell me, uh, you, you know, I was saying here, I'll give you some uh, five pound weights and we'll, we'll work on this together and you'll build your capability. And he was like, Aaron, I feel like these are 50 pound weights, like, you know, <laughs> and so sometimes we underestimate for those of us who are, you know, really involved in the inclusion conversation and in those networks, it, it, it kind of comes second nature. And we've just, the reality is we take for granted some things that we feel are common sense. And for a lot of leaders, this is really um, sensitive and tricky um, waters to wade into. And so they rely on someone like myself, who's been through a number of different organizations at different stages of growth and has the data and the research to back the the recommendations. I've both been on the advisory side of things, um, presenting on research, as well as within the organization, navigating uh, the challenges that we all face within the dynamics of competing priorities, um, competition for attention and resources, et cetera, to execute on a strategy. And so I've got enough lived experience as well as some of the uh, academic background to to bring the advisory around diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and equity, as well as I love I love speaking. I love um, inspiring aha moments in people, and so um, I've got the gift of the gab, which I once got in trouble in in school for. Just one <laughs> works out now. <laughs> That's right. Like I I was um, I was commenting. Uh, this, I had a student who was admitted to the bar recently and um, her, her mother had given me this story that, that the, when she was a very little child, she was a master negotiator and she was, you know, trying everybody's patience because she was so forceful and so, you know, enthusiastic about her opinions. And 
And I said to her, and aren't you glad that that was a training ground for now what is a viable career? So I feel like, you know, the gift of the gab turns into, in a very similar way, it turns into uh, something that fuels you and that is useful in your, uh, in your career path. So yeah, might've gone trouble once, but oh, well. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. It reminds me, you know, I have a, I have a child who's nine and we always say we want to raise these confident, assertive, uh, you know, resourceful children. And yet they are very gifted at negotiating with me. And, and, you know, it really reminds me, we have to like (laughs) embrace, embrace the strength and uh, you know, just have the humility to see the value in that strength, even if it makes us uncomfortable at times. (laughs) Well, and, and that'll be a, a skill that, that serves them well in the future. And it's one that you might just have to endure until they are out of the house, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, I want to pick up on what you, you talked about in terms of sort of being that trusted advisor and many organizations, this is an uncomfortable conversation. And it feels like 50 pound weights as opposed to five pound weights that we're, uh, that we're, we're asking them to carry from a, and I realize this is a complete generalization, but are organizations currently measuring how they're, you know, responding to belonging and diversity, inclusion, equity? Are they managing it? Are they measuring it? Like, how are they going to know when the five pound weights now feel, go from feeling like 50 pound weights to feeling like the five? How are they going to know they built their capacity? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, every organization is different and they're of at course. a different place in their journey. But ideally, what I like to get organizations to the place of is, is looking at both leading and lagging indicators, because ultimately the success is, is going to uh, hinge on a leader's willingness to get vulnerable and put in the time and energy to build the capability to then role model the way. Uh, this isn't a, a do as I say situation. This is a follow my lead situation. And that takes a hmm. whole nother level of energy. And so, you know, often the leading indicators relate more to, you know, what to what degree are leaders participating in the knowledge building, to what degree are leaders, you know, hosting conversations with courage and compassion to build connections across differences. And so those are some of the leading indicators. Uh, some of the lagging indicators, you know, we're often very much aware of, of the need to increase representation. I would say I look to representation as sort of the, the canary in the coal mine is, you know, when you have lack of representation, that's indicative of a workplace culture that's not uh, inclusive. It's one thing to, you know, work to increase diversity in your hiring practices. It's a whole nother to retain that talent and then engage and advance that talent. And I would say organizations that ignore the latter, um, you know, recruit at their peril because it's a, it's a, it's a negative ROI um, effort. And so the types of um, other metrics that I encourage organizations to look at are the employee experience around uh, feelings of belonging and connection and um, the variance of that. So oftentimes organizations that have a homogeneous culture will have a very strong average in terms of their employee mm-hmm. perceptions, right. you know, whether that's collected through their employee experience survey, what have you. And what I like to do is, is go a bit deeper and look at the variance across different dimensions. And those dimensions can be as simple as different departments, geographies, management layers, et cetera. Um, obviously we look at gender. And then of course we, you know, we're trying to build the type of environment, both from a securities and control perspective, but most most importantly, from a psychological safety perspective, to be able to invite employees to disclose any other dimensions of their diversity, whether that be disability or ethnicity, et cetera. And that can be a really sensitive place for employees and employers to be. And so that needs to be managed with um, with, with sensitivity. 
And I would say in order to, you know, forge into those waters, a company needs to be able to demonstrate that they've been able to use the other diversity dimension data that they have access to and, and demonstrate how they've used that and, and driven impactful results uh, as part of that trust building exercise. And I think it's also very relevant and, and, and becoming more important for a number of reasons. So maybe not just at the C-suite, maybe not just with your, you know, HR group, like, you know, the, the kind of the usual suspects of who's interested in this data, but, you know, boards of directors are starting to look at this kind of uh, data and are being held responsible and, and accountable for measures that companies are putting in place or, or not, as the case may be. And so I think it is one of those, those things that as it becomes more and more acceptable, more and more, uh, required at all levels of the organization, um, they, they, may, they may look for slightly different metrics or they may look to measure it in different ways, but the conversation I think is certainly an important one that's happening. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I really do want to compel, you know, any leaders that are listening to this podcast that find themselves, you know, supporting on a, in a board capacity your voice matters. The questions that you're asking of the management team matter. And there are metrics to measure success and go deeper to get to the root cause of concern. And this isn't just the right thing to do. This drives real business, like tangible business value. If you can help um, monitor the degree to which your employee population is moving away from burnout towards belonging, that is going to reap rewards. And it's really easy to cover up and mask um, what's really going on in an organization. And so from a government's, governance perspective, that's an area that I'm quite passionate about. And, you know, fortunately, there's been some evolution in the standard setting process. So, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and I know there's a lot of polarization around the topic of ESG at the moment. Uh, but right. I do believe that it's important, you know, we that that leaders, particularly members that find themselves on boards, that they do their due diligence to learn about the metrics that matter to the health of an organization, particularly the health of its culture and the people. Uh, a ma you know, managers have a very high impact on on individuals' performance and well-being. In fact, uh, one of the organizations I was working at, we looked at the correlation between uh, turnover and what was kind of like a predictive metric uh, related to turnover. And we found that particularly when it came to uh, women in, in the organization, manager performance feedback was directly related to whether or not that woman would stay. And so it's not always about the, you know, you know, the flexible workplace or what have you, which is important for all genders. Uh, but oftentimes it's the manager's capability to offer helpful feedback to someone who's different than them and create that trusting environment for that feedback to be actioned. And so that was a, an interesting place. But yeah, governance is critical. Um, you know, the, the IFRS recently um, put out some updates there. ISSB is, is a new standards uh, regulating Body. And so I think there's a lot of uh, evolution, there's a lot of momentum, but then there's also a lot of headwinds and resistance, which is creating an environment where leaders are, are um, you know, maybe a bit more risk averse on how they how they enter the, this water. But I think it's going to take both compliance as well as curiosity on the on the part of directors to ask the questions that matter um, to drive long term value for shareholders. What a what a fascinating topic. Uh, so much to so much to unpack, and obviously we're not going to unpack it all. But I appreciate the the insight and raising those those issues because I think I think as as boards generally, again these are complete generalizations, but 
boards or the C-suite or the, you know, the HR department, they're grappling with such an array of, of issues that are important, that are urgent. Some things are on fire. Some, you know, some, most companies are dealing with funding challenges. And so when you, when, when those are the things that are competing for your attention, but you have these other things that maybe don't seem so urgent, but are clearly very important, it's really difficult to to find the, the 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 room in an agenda to be able to you know unpack these things, and I think that the messages that you're articulating just make it so um, accessible to people. And they're not going to solve the problem overnight, of course, but they can certainly start to have conversations that can incrementally move move things along. So that's a really great um, great reminder. Yeah, yeah, and it's reminding me, you know, there are definitely some governance steps forward um, in a more, you know, tactical, practical sense here in Alberta. Uh, WCB now contemplates uh, psychological safety as part of the safety expectation, and then so there's tangible ways that organizations can start to embed this uh, topic into their existing infrastructure in terms of you know safety situations and i and, and you're right it comes down to the competition all of us as individuals have uh, competing demands for our time and our attention and the degree to which we have capacity to care you know, right. it, it, it fluctuates and we can't afford to care about all the things. And, you know, that's why I'm really, you know, passionate um, and becoming a, a feverish student on the topic of burnout and belonging and, and how important it is for us to start to tune in and pay attention to the signals that we receive um, around around us to, you know, both from within us, as well as, you know, those around our family and our community, our friends and our coworkers and start to build our capacity as well as our capability to help um, move away from burnout into belonging because it's only through that that we'll start to get that regenerative energy from human connection that that gives us the 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 full cup so that we can give back to the community and, and you know here in Edmonton you know that we see so many examples of communities suffering and uh, you know it, it, the time for dialogue is is done. We need to mobilize and and really take action with uh, with empathy. Yeah, of course. I want to dive in a little bit uh, deeper into into this burnout and the epidemic that is is burnout. And you've alluded to it. You you've kind of dropped some um, you know some some terms around there. Tell me a little bit about why it's an epidemic. Tell me what that looks like. Tell me why we care. I I know why we care, but tell, tell me in your words why we care. And then I want to move to what can we do about it and how can we start, what are the progressive employers doing about it? Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, burnout, it's its sometimes that hidden thing because traditionally in the workplace, you know, we weren't always invited to bring our whole self to work, right? It was like, keep your baggage at home, show up, do your job, don't complain about it, get your paycheck, right. and aren't you happy for it? Right. And so, you know, burnout is is typically, um, you know, a, an emotional depletion of, of energy, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, it, we are responsible for managing our energy, but there's a lot that organizations can do to create the conditions uh, for, for that energy to be managed appropriately. And actually, there was a really great um, article in HBR the other day that, uh, that talked about the different kind of core components of the issue around burnout. And it, it's really helpful to kind of get to the root cause, because I think so many organizations, you know, we hear burnout turn, termed all the time. And it's like, OK, well, just, you know, what's, you know, more self-care, bubble baths and get off your screens. It's not that simple, <laughs> actually. Right. It really comes down to values, uh, mm -hmm. values of the organization and values of the individuals that are coming into that organization. And, 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 and it's really 
you know, the case in any relationship, but of course, you know, in the workplace context, um, you know, there's, there's basically six key, uh, specific mismatches that mm. occur that contribute to burnout. The first one is around a workload mismatch. So that's uh, mm, high yeah. demands, insufficient work resources. We're all very comfortable and, and it's almost normalized, never enough resources to do the things that we need and want to do. Right. The other yeah. mismatch is around control. So that's when we as individuals don't feel like we have enough autonomy to be able to feel empowered to do, do the job that we've been asked to do well. The third is a reward mismatch. So that's when, you know, this good work that we're all doing isn't really leading to the appropriate level of recognition, compensation, or opportunities in the way that that individual prefers to be rewarded and acknowledged mm. and incentivized. Which of course would differ, like not everybody would, would choose the same thing. And so really understanding your employee and understanding what is rewarding for them allows you then to better match that. Exactly. And that's such a critical like nuance to pull out because, you know, we're, some of us grew up with this concept of the golden rule, treat others as, as you'd like to be treated. Yeah. Uh, the reality is, it, you know, I like to talk about the platinum rules, treat others as they would like to be treated. And that requires a conversation and that requires listening skills. And then, you know, the follow through and commitment uh, that that builds trust when we honor what other people are, are saying that they need. So I'm glad I'm glad you highlighted that. Uh, the other mismatch is a community mismatch. So, you know, oftentimes many of us have found ourselves working in a, in a toxic workplace where there's bullying, harassment, and rather than working towards mutual trust and respect, there's uh, unhealthy behaviors that are undermining trust. Yeah. Um, the fourth one, you know, and this is what brought me to this work is around fairness. So when we see a mismatch involving discrimination or inequitable practices, like I know, you know, when we come across that, that really triggers inside of ourselves this urge to fix and reconcile and, and restore justice. Yeah. And then the last one is the values mismatch. And that's where this kind of all just gets rooted. It's when our ethical and moral compass points in a different direction than our organizations. And I think that's where a lot of employees are struggling uh, where they've been brought in, they they're being asked to do a certain job, but they're seeing different things around them that are they're kind of having this moral moral dilemma, the struggle inside of themselves. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we all need to put food on the table and make rent and things like that. So, you know, sometimes we have to do what we need to do at the expense of our values, and that experience of self abandonment can really start to erode at a person's level of energy. I also think that it's, it, it, this is a generalization again, of course, um, but I think that it's, it can be tough when you don't work at this organization, but I'm going to apply for a job to work at this organization. It can be really tough for me to get a really good sense of what the organization's values are. So if I don't want there to be a mismatch and I, I look at their website or I, you know, I, I have my conversations with people and, they're, and they say, well, our values are this, this, this. I say, that's great because those are my values but they might not actually be the organizational values. And so it can be difficult, I think, to get the intel that you need as a, as a prospective employee to really uh, measure or to really be able to validate whether this will be a good fit. And as you said, everybody needs to put food on their table and they need a roof over their head. And, and once you've got that job, if you realize, uh-oh, uh, this, this is not exactly what I thought, then, then what do you do, right? And, and how do you, you know, you grapple with those, those mismatches, but um, it can be easier, of course, said than done to make a, to make a shift once you've committed. 
Yeah, I want to unpack that a bit more because, you know, in a typical interview setting, right, the candidate has less power, the employer has all the power. And so there's a tendency as individuals, if we're interviewing for an opportunity to really kind of suspend what we need and engage in kind of people pleasing tendency tendencies to try to fit yeah. in and be liked by that interviewer so that you can get to the next stage of, of the journey. And you're right. I mean, depending on an individual's degree of financial security and 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 their skill set and experience and 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 you know the amount of power, so to speak, that they hold in the in the equation, will define to what degree they can be compassionately curious and ask questions in order to, you know, you always want to trust, but you need to verify. You owe it to yourself as an employee to to do what you can to verify that you're getting into a relationship. Full disclosure, right? And so, questions that I encourage encourage candidates to ask are, you know, what, it, what does your regrettable turnover look like? What were your last mm-hmm. employee experience scores? What's your variance on your employee experience scores? Um, you know, what's your representation in leadership? To what degree are your leadership uh, attending training or volunteering? There's, there's questions that we as candidates have the right to ask, and the response will give you a signal of information. And it also signals to the employer what you care about. And so I think there's right. nothing wrong with getting vulnerable and asking questions about the things that you care about. Uh, because, you know, it's, it's, it's important. And those are the same questions that I invite uh, board directors to ask their management. <laughs> of, of, of course, of course. And if, so let's think about it for, or let's put the hat on, on another head of the, the employer. So I want to be a very responsible and progressive employer. And I want to attract um, people to my organization that are aligned with the values. And that assumes that I know what my values are as an organization and, you know, that I can articulate those. So let's assume I can then is it is it a correct assumption that a, uh, an employer could help themselves by being very clear about what those are so that as a candidate is um, preparing for an interview or even reviewing the job posting, finding out information to determine whether they're interested in, in even applying, that there is some degree of transparency from the employer's perspective? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And and the needle that needs to be, you know, like thread really delicately is the distinction between what is an organization's aspirational vision. Right. Of this course. is what we really want to be. When we grow up, or you know, this is what we're aspiring to. This is the North Star we want. Everyone kind of focused our attention on versus here's where we are today. Because you yeah. don't want to get into this performative marketing exercise and then a, a candidate comes in and then they're feeling gaslit by like, wait a second, this isn't the experience that I, I thought I was going to have. And what a downer right, to get the wake up call uh, when it's too late. And so I really encourage honesty and transparency. And, you know, that that does breed trust because when organizations know what you stand for, but they know that you're being honest with where you're at, they're much more willing to roll up their sleeves and be a part of the journey towards that vision that you have. And so I I really believe in transparency and honesty. Um, It's not about, you know, airing dirty laundry or shaming and blaming or having this negative energy around the judgment. It's about Hey, we're learning. We're building the muscle. We're we're driving progress. We're not getting letting perfection get in the way of 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 moving forward. And so, if we err too much on the side of um, a reporting culture or a performative marketing, we erode trust instantly. Employees aren't stupid. <laughs> and well, so- and it's and you know back to the analogy that you gave at, at the beginning about like oh I have five pound weights but they feel like they're fifty pound weights. Well, 
in, in a physical sense, as you become stronger, ideally, you maybe, maybe only not for me, but ideally, you are then able to lift greater weights. And so it, that's, that is a natural progression. That is the expectation, you get fitter, you know, all of that. In an organizational sense, if you say, okay, this is where we are, but here is our aspiration. Well, you got to start picking up the five pound weights before you're going to get to be able to pick up the 50 pound weights. And so I think as long as you you set out that progress plan and, you know, it's not necessarily going to go completely linearly, but then people can get on your journey or not. Yeah. And, you know, I love this like gym mechanical fitness analogy we're building here because it starts to point to how all of the different pieces need to work together. And that's the operationalization of the strategy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, we want to go and do X, Y, Z. It's a whole nother to orchestrate all of the individual teams required to do that with operational efficiency as we, as we grow that muscle. And so, you know, just in our own bodies, you know, our brain may say, okay, we need to work out well okay what actually we gotta we gotta get up on time we gotta pack the gym bag we gotta get to the gym or you know and then we gotta do the work we gotta put it in and 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 there's all the things that go into I want to go get fit of course of course and you know the the trainers like in the fitness industry because we can talk about this all day in the fitness industry the trainers will say like if you're gonna work out first thing in the morning and you have trouble getting up pack your bag the night before like be proactive and then get your, your clothes packed or wear them or change into them first thing in the morning or do whatever. Like you can break that down into a hundred, you know, little steps so that the barrier you're easily more easily able to overcome that barrier, but it's the same in, in operationalizing a strategy as well. Right. You can't just be like, well, that's our goal. So now we're there. Well, probably not. You probably need to pack your clothes, pack your water bottle and get out the door before you're even going to be able to, you know, to move that along. So I think it is helpful to think about that in the, in the gym bag, because we all understand the dreaded gym bag analogy. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, and the other thing I would just add there is like, it can be deflating and demoralizing to drown in the ocean that you're trying to boil and right. And so if you can get your employees mobilizing on, you know, a metric or metrics that matter and get everyone kind of focused on one thing they can do really, really well, instead of like, you know, tackling the whole thing, right. Um, is really important. So step-by-step it's a journey. Yeah, for sure. How do we, so you've touched on this a little bit, but I wonder if you are able to help us articulate, how do we transition from burnout to belonging? So I, I've been on this journey myself, um, so I'm not going to tout myself as an expert, but I will draw on some of the, you know, the folks that have inspired me and have been influencers in my journey. And what was really unexpected for me um, is that, you know, we're often looking externally for the solutions uh, and oftentimes ignoring the signals that, that we receive inside. And so my experience may not, you know, resonate with all listeners, but, you know, it certainly has started to, to resonate with many of the individuals, leaders, managers, employees that I've been speaking to. It really requires us to go inward. You know, I, 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 there's, Jay Shetty interviewed Russ, the rapper recently, which would be an unexpected podcast to refer to, but he talked about growing down, not necessarily, you know, we often think about growing up, like, you know, we want to go be something in the world and go, you know, grow up. 
but the reality is many of us have had experiences in our in our childhood and throughout our life that we may have ignored and suppressed and just kind of buried deep down there um and we often you know kind of lose touch with the amazing mechanism the compass that is within inside of ourselves our heart and our and our gut and, and our body and our nervous system uh it tells us a lot of things if we're willing to listen and that, that's a skill uh that takes effort and so my journey uh, really kind of, I've had so many experiences of crashing and burning uh, where mm. I just wasn't listening to what my body was trying to tell me. And I was just so externally focused on trying to fix the world. And I was so cognizant of all the suffering in the world and had been, you know, quite frankly, ignoring a lot of the suffering that I was experiencing internally. And eventually, you know, Gabor Mate, he's written some amazing books and 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 there's a lot on the topic, but you know the body it keeps score, and it will be the thing that finally says, "Uh huh, I know you want to do this, but uh huh, not <laughs> today." So, yeah, not today. Yeah, and so I've had a couple experiences throughout my career where my body was just saying, "I know you want to do all these things. I know you want to. You've got FOMO, and you want to go help this employee resource group, and you want to go volunteer for this effort." Um, but I was having a really hard time just getting out of bed, and and then feeling the shame of like you know, first world problems. Why do, why can't I just get my ass out of bed to go help do this work that's so necessary in the world? And so uh, it took, um, you know, some really humiliating uh, moments where I was physically immobile, um, mm -hmm. where I had to find the courage within me to ask for the help that I needed. And that was quite humbling for an individual who was very proud of being independent and can do attitude, right? Uh, but it really was the impetus for me to kind of explore and start to acknowledge some of the experiences that I had and start to create space within myself for feelings of of, of emotion that I had suppressed because I've always been a very cerebral, rational brained thinker. And so, you know, I, I guess it's really my invitation for anyone that's suffering from burnout to create the space to get quiet and go inward around like what what is the mismatch here and what can I control? You know, we can't control others, but that we can do right. a lot to control um, where we put our time and attention. And there's so many things, right? I, what comes to mind easily is I remember having a moment where I'm like, okay, I got to completely wipe my social media clean and only follow good clean influencers that are inspirational, uplifting. They've got, mm. you know, we are what we eat both physically as well as digitally. And, and there's a lot of competition for our attention. And so that was one thing that I did was get really intentional around the type of information I was consuming and then creating the space to integrate that information. So I think, you know, intentionally going inward to explore the root cause of your burnout is critical. And then taking the action to follow through on the things that we need to do to create a better life for ourselves, a better experience. Sometimes, um, yeah, I like this co comparison of resume virtues versus eulogy virtues mm, and right. re resume virtues. You know, it's all the things we put on our resume to look great and try to, you know, it's the LinkedIn of Instagram, right? Uh, but really it's like, what do you want people to say about you when you're gone? Like, what's the impact and the legacy you want to leave in this world? And those are always different than what's on your resume. Very much like it, you know, a, a, a corporation or an organization can also think about the impact and the legacy that it wants to have versus what it might, uh, you know, tout on its website as a way of attracting um, people. And that leads exactly to this mismatch or, or one of the six types of mis mismatches that you uh, articulated from 
that uh, HBR article that you were referring to, and the better the match between your resume virtues versus your eulogy virtues or an organization's um, you know, potential website versus what they want their legacy to be is, is really impactful. I work um, a lot with, with entrepreneurs growing and scaling their company. And that's a question that I ask them quite a bit is, well, what do you want? And, and there's lots of different contexts, of course, but what do you want your legacy to be? And some people can articulate that very clearly. They say, I built my business because there was this problem. There was, I experienced this problem, or I know that there's this problem and I want a better way, a better mousetrap, a better service, a better experience, whatever it is. And I think it can be done. And I, you know, I want to do that and I'm passionate about it or for whatever reason. And, and, and they can articulate and then they say, I don't really care if it's me, mostly, I don't really care how it's done, but this is where I'm aiming for. Other people, you say, well, what do you want your legacy to be? And they're like, um, well, and they haven't thought about that or, or, or maybe they've thought about it, but it's very difficult to articulate. And I think that goes to the, the concept uh, that you've articulated around, like you got you to gotta feel it within, you've got to understand what it is, you've got to know what your, your purpose is. And that goes back, you know, from an organization perspective, from a board's perspective, what's your mission, what's your vision, what are your values? And are you clear on that? Because if you're not, how, how can you, how can you invite other people onto the bus to, you know, to ride with you? So what you're saying is really, it's very common sense, but I think it's very often overlooked. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I've come to the conclusion is that even in a hyper-connected world, we as human beings are just feeling so desperately disconnected, disconnected from ourselves, uh, disconnected from our loved ones, disconnected to our purpose in life. And I think, you know, that, that collective craving for connection is where we have an opportunity to, you know, start to take some action. Uh, we know that feelings of belonging and connection are, are regenerative sources of energy as, as human beings. And so, um, you know, I think, yeah, it was Maya Angelou who said, you know, people don't remember what you did. They remember how you made them feel. And that, you know, for me is starting to become my North Star of, I just want to be a person that when people are around me, they feel good, they feel better, they feel inspired. And I want to feel better being around people. And I know it's been really difficult through COVID. We've kind of got comfortable working from home and being on Zoom and disconnected. Uh, but it's been fascinating, you know, and it doesn't always have to be in person, but I think think when we can be real with one another and 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 show up with that level of of humility and compassion not judgment we connect on a whole different level as human beings and that's you know really the ultimate source of our power together versus power over which is what we're all so used to yeah what a what a great way to uh to summarize that where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do yeah, so um, AaronLeonti.com or LeontiConsulting.com. Uh, that'll take you to my LinkedIn right now. And I'm working on continuing to to build um, my profile in terms of being available to help those that are in need. And I'm also on that journey of learning how to um, protect my peace by uh, having appropriate boundaries around my capacities. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm mindful of not stretching myself too thin, thin but really inviting uh, those that are values aligned to benefit from the experience and the expertise that I have to offer. And ultimately, I just want to shine a light for others to um, follow my lead and let's all just be role models and, and kind of suspend the judginess of others and just do what we can to uh, be lights in the world. 
and help spread the love, right? There's just, we need more loving kindness in this world that's suffering. I, I agree. Thank you so much for sharing your loving kindness with us on this podcast today. It was great to host you. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Of course. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update. Thank you.